1: I'm Audrey Cooper, Editor-in-Chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. We have new unemployment numbers out, and they confirm what we already knew. Millions of Americans are out of jobs due to the coronavirus and the resulting shelter-in-place orders. And that includes as many as one in every six San Franciscans. The number of people out of work is the highest possibly since the Great Depression and has surpassed the 2008 recession. So will gradually reopening the economy also mean gradually fixing the unemployment issue? Will this recession change business in the Bay Area forever? And why are stock markets not in a free fall given all of this news? I decided to ask the man with the answers to all of those questions, Chronicle Business Editor Owen Thomas. Oh, and there are new numbers out today—new unemployment numbers. What what did they show?
2: They showed a continuation of the horrific job loss that we've seen since the coronavirus pandemic struck, and shelter-in-place orders have taken effect in the Bay Area in California. Another 4.4 million Americans have filed unemployment claims in the past week, and in um, California, another uh, roughly. Uh, 550,000 have filed.
1: That's a tremendous number of people. Before we get too far into the numbers themselves, maybe we can take a step back and explain what exactly are these numbers? We we throw out the, the unemployment number, but there's a very uh, specific definition of how we count unemployment in this country.
2: Absolutely. So the the first thing that you may think of is the unemployment rate. And that is a number that comes out monthly. That's actually not the number that we just got for unemployment claims. And we'll find out a true picture of overall unemployment um, in a little bit. Um, But right now, what we have are these jobless claims. And those come when someone files for unemployment with a state unemployment agency. In California, that's the Employment Development Department, or EDD.
1: So why can't we just divide that number into the total population? That would give uh, us a rate or a percentage of people unemployed, right?
2: It would. Um, the, uh, <laughs> economics is complicated. I'm the son of, a, uh, of an economist. And where it gets tricky is you've got the total population, but you've got people who are retired. You've got kids. You have people who um, you know are homemakers and those are not considered part of the workforce, the way that the government calculates numbers. And they do this in a specific way, and they you know, calculate it consistently so we've got a true picture of the economy. It does get a little frustrating, though, because you're trying to take these numbers and kind of stack them up against each other, and they don't always add up perfectly. What we do know, though, is that an unemployment claim represents an individual who's seeking benefits from the government. And that's kind of a hard and fast number that we can go by on a weekly basis, and that gives us the best real-time picture of job loss that we can get.
1: So how has tech fared specifically? We know the local economy is heavily driven by the tech industry, but a lot of those jobs you should be able to work from home. So how is that industry being affected?
2: Tech has not been unspared. Now, uh, Salesforce, which is the largest private employer in San Francisco, uh, has seen its CEO take a no layoffs pledge, and he's urged others to do the same. But as we've reported, a lot of companies, Yelp and Eventbrite are two local examples, have laid off lots of employees. I mean, they just have no choice. Both of those businesses kind of rely on customers um, whose clientele are largely coming to stores, going to events. That that economic activity is just not happening now. So they really have no choice but to lay people off. But if what you're doing is providing software, if you are a Zoom, if you are a a Slack, a Cisco, a Microsoft, all of these companies provide critical infrastructure for what a lot of us are doing right now, which is working from home. So not only are they, you know, doing okay, they are, you know, they're kind of thriving, um, perversely in this economy. Amazon is at an all time high because. We're all shopping from home because it's really hard to go out to stores and social distance and even find what you need on shelves.
1: Right. And you characterize or your staff characterized the story that we posted this morning on sfchronicle.com about the unemployment numbers as maybe a peak of claims being over. That sounded like good news to me. Is it good news?
2: It is good news in the sense that when you uh, – you know, sometimes you just need to rip a Band-Aid off. Um, we were early in the Bay Area and in California to order a shelter in place. That means the economic damage took place much sooner in California than in other states. The, um, the economic toll is going to keep mounting. I would not be surprised, based on what economists are telling my reporters, to see millions of claims um, in the weeks to come, just probably not, you know. Six or seven million, as we saw in the peak weeks,
1: and is that because these these jobs that you know immediate we know immediately rely on the economy? Um, people who are working in retail and people in heavily advertising um, focused businesses they their businesses their CEOs saw the writing on the wall very early and made immediate decisions, and now the people the the rest of the workforce is just kind of a, a wait and see to. Um, see if you can make it through this period? Is that how we should be looking at these numbers?
2: Absolutely. I think the the thing that you know everyone is waiting to see is, are these shelter-in-place orders effective in stopping the spread of the virus? And when can we truly reopen the economy with confidence and a feeling of safety? It's not going to do anyone any good if we reopen the economy, then there are new outbreaks, possibly worse outbreaks. And we have to shut things down again. what I think people really fear is that scenario of open close, open close, where you really don't kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel. so right now we're in this period where we've done it we we took the hit, and we're you know waiting to see how things go um, but the you know the worst case scenario is that continued prolonged uncertainty. <laughs>
1: I'm speaking with business editor Owen Thomas about today's unemployment figures that are out. Uh, I want to ask you about comparing this to the 2008 recession.
0: But first, let's take a break. We'll be right back after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust? Or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
1: Owen, oh, the mayor of San Francisco has said that 60,000 people in the city, which, um, is a pretty small city. We only have maybe about 850,000 residents. And and as you mentioned earlier, not all of them are employment age or in in the active workforce, but 60,000 San Franciscans have applied for unemployment assistance. That's way worse than we got at the very depths of the 2008 recession, isn't it?
2: That's correct, in fact, I checked our historical unemployment records, and we actually never topped uh ten percent unemployment. The highest figure was nine point four percent now according to um, census data, our workforce is um, is about seventy percent of the population uh for those over uh for those over sixteen so um you know sixty thousand people already uh represents you know roughly um, roughly 10 percent unemployment if we get another 40,000 people as mayor breed predicted filing for unemployment you're talking about one in six san franciscans being out of work but even then we'll be better off than the country as a whole because people are saying we could see 20 percent unemployment nationally that's
1: just so incredible who do we know is being um being the most affected is this across the um income spectrum or is it primarily people in higher paying jobs lower paying jobs what can you characterize it
2: it's absolutely the people who are making the least who are hurting the most it's service workers it's people in the tourism industry those industries have pretty much shut down um workers have been furloughed uh or you know or straight up laid off and you know we just don't have tourists coming really i mean they're not supposed to be coming certainly under the under the health orders and so that's really you know that's really hard on some of the most vulnerable members of the um of the economy the better paid you are the more likely you're working in kind of an information job where it's easy to work remotely and where your work probably translates into this uh, transformed, disrupted economy. Um, so that's really, you know, it's really unfortunate that uh, the, the worst off have been the people who are kind of least able to take the hit.
1: And what does that mean for when we start to reopen the economy? This week, the governor made some very small steps towards that. Um, He he gave this goal of being able to test 60,000 Californians a day before we can reopen. It seems like we have some benchmarks of when we might get there, but will the jobs necessarily follow that reopening?
2: I think we have to think really hard about what reopening looks like on a, you know, on that kind of macroeconomic level, you also have to factor in all of all these kind of individual decisions and um, you know the the notion that we're just going to be kind of going to be able to snap our fingers and have the economy restart that just doesn't doesn 't reflect reality. You have people who are losing housing well, they might move out of the area they might move to another part of the country and move in with family you have um People who are losing their jobs, they may take up other work and not want to go back to those old jobs. So you've got tremendous dislocation in the workforce and, you know, to the extent that those jobs require, you know, require training and, um, you know, and teamwork, it's going to be hard to kind of like restart smoothly and, you know, even, even to find all your workers, if you were, um. A restaurant or a hotel, like find, you know, finding all those workers and encouraging them to come back. That's not an automatic thing.
1: So we, we know this is going to be hugely disruptive. As you say, you, you mentioned, um, one of our largest employers already Salesforce, uh, in, in the city of San Francisco. Why? Y- y- I think, I think your staff broke the news that they're buying another skyscraper, uh, downtown to expand. It just seems like such an incredible time to do that. Why, why are they doing that right now?
2: Well, it does seem, it does seem almost ludicrous, but remember that deal was finalized in March. We are, you know, we are just learning about it now. And, uh, it was, um, you know, perhaps a different, uh, different economic outlook, a different kind of world. But, you know, the the reality of San Francisco is that we are, you know, 49 square miles and um, downtown office space particularly is very scarce. Now, what that office space is going to look like in the future with its offices, where we're going to sit, how many people are going to be on a floor. That's all up in the air. We have not figured that out. But, you know, we do know that there is not much San Francisco. And as Mark Benioff once put it to me, they're not making more of it. So, to the extent that there's a future where Salesforce is a company headquartered in San Francisco and they want to stay that way, um, they're still going to be thinking, you know, a, a you know, a decade from now, not you know, not a month from now or a year from now, what their office needs might be.
1: This will probably seem like a very broad question, but San Francisco has always been associated with the the tech explosion all the way back to the first dot com boom. How do you think it's going to change tech as an industry in San Francisco? Will we continue to be the epicenter of tech? I mean, a lot of places were already relocating out of San Francisco due to the incredible cost of housing and just doing business here. Does that accelerate? How is this going to change local industries?
2: I think that this really is a forcing function that that prompts that reconsideration remember what what drove uh people to san francisco is this incredible concentration of talent and as long as that concentration of talent is here and if we have some way to you know work together in person um then i think we'll want to human beings are social animals we like to you know we like to see each other face to face we like to interact face to face um so I think in the long term, we'll figure out a way to make that happen. Uh, there's a theory called the creative class um, theory uh, propounded by academic Richard Florida, which says that people naturally tend to concentrate in geographical areas centered around industries. So you have Wall Street in New York, you have Hollywood in Los Angeles, and in the Bay Area, you've got Silicon Valley and the San Francisco tech cluster. I You know, I I certainly see a a weakening of that and, you know, perhaps an easing of remote work, but I think you'll still need a physical epicenter for the industry. People want to go to a place and experience that kind of intoxicating magic of being together where all the action is. So that, I think, is my um, perhaps optimistic view of it. Um, i don't see everyone just you know going purely remote and like um <laughs> you know just interacting with cyberspace i I don't think that's how um we want to be as human beings but uh but this is a challenge to that for sure
1: what do you think about the change in industries in terms of manufacturing because we we know we uh, this really exposed our reliance on other countries for the global supply chain for basic things that we need from from food to Uh, you know, antibacterial wipes to toilet paper to nasal swabs. I mean, this has really laid bare a lot of issues that we have. Do you think it will um, prompt an increase in U.S. focus on manufacturing and and being more self-reliant?
2: I think there's an intriguing opportunity here, and this is actually a strength of the Bay Area. We are really good at quick turn kind of prototype-level, small-scale manufacturing that remains a strength of uh, of the Bay Area from kind of the classic old days of Silicon Valley when we made microchips locally. Um, and you hear about things like distilleries becoming hand sanitizer uh, factories. You know, they've got the alcohol, it's just a few more ingredients, and suddenly they're pumping out uh, pumping out sanitizer. So I think that we've got that entrepreneurial drive and we've got some infrastructure and i think we could actually point a way toward a future where you know things like masks or uh, face shields or hand sanitizer are produced on a local level kind of small scale on demand one of the issues here is that we needed to ramp up production um kind of globally very quickly well can you imagine a future where we do that in a distributed way rather than kind of outsourcing all of our manufacturing to gigantic uh, factories, you know, whether they're in Austin, Texas or in Shenzhen, China? Um, could we do small-scale manufacturing across the nation? And could the Bay Area lead the way in using 3D printing and uh, mass distribution of kind of um uh, schematics and specifications over the internet to scale that up and down really quickly when there are new needs like we have now?
1: It's a good question. And and I think, um, you know, when you take into consideration the industries that might be forever really hurt by this, it's, it's clear that we're going to have to be more creative. I, your staff has written a lot in the last um, couple of years about the the difficulties of retail. Uh, and I just got an alert on my phone, probably from your staff, about uh, the gap stopping um, is no longer paying rent for its closed stores because it's running out of money. We know Macy's locally was having a really hard time. Is, is ground floor retail, is this the death knell for it?
2: I think we definitely need to reinvent retail. I think, you know, I think we'll start seeing experiments with, for example, um, you know, curbside depots. You know, another another thing that I think is not really working is the big megastore. You know, now people are lining up, you know, for blocks to uh, to wait six feet apart from the next person, and you know, and line up to get the store. Would we be better off with the return of the corner store? where you have one person kind of popping in and getting what they need and, and popping out, you know, could we retool the economy around a more kind of, you know, again, like local, distributed, more resilient, less fragile uh, way of doing retail? Uh, We may need to is the reality. Um, Audrey, have you ever spent much time in Bernal Heights?
1: Yeah, not far from my house.
2: So it, all across Bernal, there are these little uh, abandoned storefronts um, up and down the hill, which used to be like a, you know, some kind of corner store or general store, something. And you know, just because people wouldn't want to walk all the way down the hill to to Mission Street to get their essentials, I think. Yeah, that you have to climb
1: the, back up the street if you do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, that was obviously before um, you know before everyone had a car or you know or could. Um, you know, take a lift uh, wherever they needed. But I think in San Francisco's past, there might be a glimmer of the future. Should we be thinking much more locally um, and, you know, kind of small scale? Is that a better, safer way to do business? I think that you know, that may actually portend some hope for all of these um, retail storefronts that have been abandoned or are, are underused. Uh, you know, I may be wrong there. It may just go, you know, all delivery. But um, I, you know, I think that uh, I'm not sure that we need to put everything in a truck is to get it to do the consumer.
1: I mean, I can definitely see that being a trend, because I know uh, this will sound so lazy, but normally we're so busy, you have things delivered because there's no time to go to the store. And now that we're being encouraged to go outside and walk for exercise, I find myself thinking, I wish I had a store here because now I'm walking around my neighborhood, I would go buy this thing there at the store that no longer exists. So I I think it's there, you know, we both tend to be, I think, glass half full kind of people and there. You can see a glimmer of hope for for that to return, at least in some neighborhoods. I, I have two other things that I want to ask you about really briefly, and that is the gig economy and the markets. Uh, let's let's start with the gig economy. It was something that came out of the two thousand and eight. Um, recession, that we are have been struggling to deal with what it did to the local economy. Is gig work going to be uh, more important as we try to get out of this recession, or will it go away altogether? I, I feel like it could be one or the other. Which one is it?
2: Well, under under the laws of California since January, it's been very hard for things that have been classically categorized as gig work, like uh, Ride hailing or uh, delivery uh delivery work to remain that way i mean the the companies have argued that this law a b five doesn't apply to them for this or that reason um, not clear that those arguments will uh you know will hold up it's all got to be tested in court um, you know to actually change the status of gig workers but there's a lot of questions over whether um whether those gig workers can um you know, can be kind of flexible, independent contractors or whether they have to be employees. Now, flip that around, AB5 was passed when unemployment was in the low single digits. And gig work really rose, as you pointed out, in, you know, in the wake of the last recession when people were looking for work, when there was kind of a pool of workers who needed these jobs. I think what we need to find is a a middle ground of kind of flexible work where it's easy to kind of sign up for work and turn off that work um, and, you know, but still get a a baseline of benefits, particularly healthcare and sick leave. I think everyone agrees that, you know, you don't need workers who have an incentive to work while they're sick and infect people. So, you know, you know, this might be the opportunity to get um, the gig companies and, um, you know, regulators and legislators to to find some common ground because we have a problem we have a lot of people out of work we don't want people to work when they're sick and uh we need a better safety net so can we put our heads together and figure out what that is and um you know really solve the problem i'm not sure that the answer is everyone is a class you know everyone is an employee as kind of classically defined under existing labor laws um, I'm not sure that answers uh the problems we have right now um but it's a it's a big question um you know I do think that that short term temporary work, whatever you call it, and however you classify it, is going to be part of the way we uh we recover from this
1: okay, and the last question for you. It seems that the markets, although they've been very erratic, up and down hundreds of points sometimes in a day, um, they're not as low as they were in 2000, uh, in the depths of the 2008 recession. Why are the markets not in a freefall tanking mode right now, given everything we know about what's happening with unemployment and profits, et cetera? Absolutely.
2: Well, you know, you've got to go to the basics of what is a what you know, what is a share of a company? It is sort of a promise to get some of that company's future profits. So unless you think that the future is zero, like, you know, unless you think a company is never going to make a single dollar again ever, then its stock shouldn't be zero. Um, so, you know, certainly the uh, certainly the markets have wiped out some of, you know, some of those short-term profits. But I think, you know, also, Someone who's investing in a company is thinking about where is it going to be in a year, five years, 10 years. Um, the, you know, the other thing that I think is weighing on the markets is that some people need cash right now. So even though prices are depressed, they're selling, you know, they're liquidating because they've, you know, they, they have bills to pay, uh, which is unfortunate because it's kind of the worst possible time to be turning those those shares into cash. But, you know, I think Warren Buffett put it best. He said, you know, in the in the short term, the market's a voting machine and in the long term, it's a weighing machine. Um, and, you know, these companies are, um, you know, are, are going to have some value. Like, why are why are Uber and Lyft not zero? Well, you know, people are still going to need to get around and, you know, there's a possible scenario where it's safer if you do need to move around. Perhaps it's safer to get into a car with one other person than in a bus with 30 other people um so you know even ride hailing which looks you know devastated right now might factor into a you know a a pandemic future
1: great Owen. i could ask you questions about this forever but uh, i i know you have to get back to editing so thanks a lot for being on the podcast
2: oh thank you for inviting me
1: i'd like to thank business editor owen thomas for being with me today King Kaufman for producing this episode and thank you for listening. Fifth Emission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com/pod.